Morning, everyone. See, seems to be having a good time today. <clears throat> Any of you like maps? Yeah. Uh, any cartographers amongst us? Yeah? No, you don't know. But you like maps. Okay, that's good. I love maps. You know, I remember when I was a little boy, I used to open up an ordnance survey map, you know, really big, double-sided, once 25,000. You could really study all the little woods and pathways, and I really enjoyed that. And it did come in handy when I decided to uh, cycle to Land's End a few, a few years later. Um, but I still needed that map to get me to, to Land's End. Of course, these days, round about Dagenham, we don't really... We've not got ordnance survey maps in front of us on the windscreen, have we? Um, these days, we seem to navigate better with sat-nav. It's still map-based technology, of course, and it is a marvel when you think about it. I mean, you can, with a map, you can know exactly where you are. You can say, that's where I'm going. And a map will precisely plot your pathway. Turn left, turn right, forward, backwards, whatever. It's really remarkable. I mean... When I'm on call this afternoon with the London Ambulance Service, I can get to any address in Dagenham in about 12 minutes. Not because I drive fast, because I'm not allowed to, but because, but because really, no, I'm not allowed to, but, but because the sat-nav technology is so good, uh, that that provides a real comfort, doesn't it? It's a comfort when you've got a map, here I am, there I'm going, and it will tell me turn left, turn right, and that's how we navigate. But the thing is, I don't think God provides us with a map. I think we'd like it that way. And certainly the Israelites wanted a clear set of instructions, and boy, did they get it. I mean, those books of the law contain a heck of a lot of instructions. Do this and do that. And not just the book of the law. They also had something, uh, and I've turned to scholars on these things, um, called the Urim and Thummim. Now, we don't have a picture of those because we don't actually know what they look like. But they were a part of the priest's garment and uh, senior Israelites could go and consult God via the priest to get an answer from God. Typically an answer, yes or no, uh, guilty or innocent. Uh, and so that was uh, technology that the Israelites used to find out the will of God. Uh, there's an example in, in 1 Samuel 23 when David is on the run from Saul and David thinks, I want to go to that city called Cala, but the people there might give me up to Saul. So he consults the Urim and Thummim and says, if I go to this city, will the people give me up? And God says, using the Urim and Thummim, yes, if you go there, they'll give you up to Saul. Good job he asked. Now, we would like our guidance from God like that sometimes, I think. I think sometimes we just want to say, look, should I do this or should I do that? Should I go here or go there? When I was 17, considering, should I go to university? I asked God, should I go to university? And I wanted an answer. And I did get one. And I came to the University of East London. But does God tell everybody which university to go to? Or whether they should or they shouldn't? Does God tell you which house you should buy? Some of you, yes. And you've got wonderful testimonies. But not everybody. What about which car to buy? Did God tell you which car to buy? What about the clothes you wear? Or the cereal you'll, 
you ate this morning at breakfast. Okay? You see what I'm saying? That it's great if we do hear God for these things, but we're not a bad people if we don't hear God for every turn that we make in life. That's not the way God operates. That's old map-based technology. Turn left, turn right. If God doesn't give us a map then, and the technology of the Urim and Thummim belong to the Old Testament, then how does God guide us today? And where does Pilgrimage 17 fit in? So, when you and I, when we're looking ahead, when we're making our plans and we want to pursue our lives in a godly way, what is it that we seek? What do we seek? We seek to win the lottery. Uh, we seek to marry the most beautiful person we can. No? What is, what is it we seek? Oh, yes, yes. yes. All right, okay. So some, like Andy, have managed it. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So um, what is it that we seek? Give us an answer. We seek to please God. Give me a verse, perhaps, from the Bible about seeking God. See, all right, let's take that one, which is good, because that's the one I've got. Okay. Right. Seek first the kingdom of God. Just let's have a look at how the message interprets that verse. Oh, all right then. Just have a read of that one from the message version. Isn't that isn't that interesting? But when it comes to making our plans, God says, steep your life in God reality. There's there's a kind of all-inclusive, wholesome, giving ourselves every day to him. I thought that was good. Let's look at um, how Paul described it to the Romans in his letter, the first letter to the Romans. Okay. Perhaps I should read it in case those at the back haven't got their glasses on, I understand. Um, Don't copy the behaviour of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Hmm. Hang on, Let's, let's read that verse from the back forward, shall we? Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Great, we can know the plans God has for us. It's something that will be learned. How? By changing the way we think. How? By becoming a new person. How? By letting God transform us. How? Well, not copying the behaviour of this world is one start. I think that's really quite liberated, that we can know God's will for us, but it's not about should I turn left or turn right, should I buy this car or buy that car. Knowing God's will, the navigation technology we have today in God is being transformed by him. Being transformed by him. In fact, look at how he starts the letter. Paul says, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. I don't think he means that we should consult him. Lord, which cereal should I eat today? Which clothes should I wear today? 
Although maybe some of you should have done. <laughs> Sorry, that was, a, that was a Daniel joke. I did that, I knew, I did that for Daniel. That's, that's the kind of quip he makes. Okay. <clears throat> but, but look, there's that sense of offering everything we do to God as we go, right? So what matters to God is how we walk forward in our relationships, in sharing the good news, in, in confronting, in caring, in loving, in being peacemaker. As John just said, we can't live for Jesus in meetings. It's the everyday showing love to one another. But you don't need to take my word uh, for it. Um, let's look at this verse. Uh, that's not Romans 1. I forgot to change the caption. This is from Proverbs. This is Proverbs 16.3. Okay? Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. All right? So we're, we're here, we're considering what is the new technology uh, for navigating and uh, making our plans in God. Have a look at that verse. Now listen to what Tim Keller says. He's a well-regarded church leader in New York. That's a couple of minutes. Just listen to what he has to say now. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now you read that and right away you say, that's great. And I'll bet you you think you know what it said. And I thought I knew what it said. But you know, You've heard of the meat of the word and the milk of the word. Proverbs are the hard candy of the word. You don't just swallow it. You don't just bite into it. You have to dissolve it very, very, very slowly on your tongue. You have to meditate. You have to think about it. And you know what all the commentators point out? This is a complete reversal of the way people think. You would think, they would say, commit your plans to the Lord, and then your deeds will succeed. In other words, commit your plans to the Lord... Oh, Lord, bless my plan. And then the execution will succeed. That's what you think it's saying. It's not saying that. It says the opposite. It says commit your deeds to the Lord, and you will become more and more a person who makes smart plans. More and more become a person who makes successful plans. It's exactly the opposite of what you might think. And this is what it's saying. The word commit is a word that literally means to roll over onto, to put all of your weight on And this is saying, unconditionally trust God for all things that happen in your life. Unconditionally trust God. Radically, unconditionally trust God. And you slowly will become a person who makes wise plans. Plans in accord with reality. Plans in accord with who God is, who you are, human nature, things. Unconditionally trust God for the things that happen in life. And we will become the kind of people who make wise plans because God doesn't provide us with a map. He guides us as we go. And of course, we've got the Holy Spirit, so we can expect to hear God daily. We can expect those nudges, and sometimes he will guide us to go to a university or buy a particular car, that's fine. But sometimes that's not the case, and we don't have to feel bad about that. But what I want to say is let's not get paralysed waiting for God to give us a left or a right, a go or no go, when actually God's waiting for us to move. And as we go, he will guide us. 
and we've got these overarching navigational principles of seeking first and loving others and loving God as our, our navigational system now. Which brings me to the analogy that you've all been waiting for. If God doesn't provide us with a map, then actually, perhaps it's more helpful, it's just an illustration, to think of God providing us with a compass. A compass is vital because I need to know the direction I'm heading in. Now, uh, who can tell me what was special about the compass of Captain Jack Sparrow? Not you, Andy. Uh, Okay, somebody else, Josiah? It didn't work the way a normal compass works. Who can tell me how Captain Jack Sparrow's compass actually worked? Oh, Rob? It, not quite. Judy? I thought it always pointed towards the Black Pearl. That's not true either. Let's get Richard. Oh, there we go. Captain Jack Sparrow of Pirates of the Caribbean films. The compass directed the owner to whatever or she, to whatever he or she wanted the most at that time. Imagine a compass that is orientated towards the desires of the heart. That's the pirate's compass, orientates towards the desires of the heart. But our compass orientates us towards the desires of God. A compass helps orientate ourselves. It gives us our bearing. With a compass, you have a destination in mind, you pick a landmark along the way, and you follow that bearing. Now, you can only see part of the way forward. You can't see the whole journey. So you don't actually know all that lies between here and there. And so there's a degree of faith and trust and courage and peril and excitement in travelling from here to there on a compass bearing. Does that ring true? There is a, a, a level of unknown. But once you arrive at your landmark, you're able to regroup, you're able to rest, you're able to find your next bearing and move on on the next trajectory. And you always know where you are in relation to true north, which we could say would be Jesus. Yeah? So when we are journeying... It's not a matter of, should I go left or should I go right? But how am I aligned to Jesus as true north? And am I still heading for the landmark God gave me? And what lies in between? Well, we'll see as we go. And as I journey, not so much left or right, but am I loving more? Am I caring more? Am I being more generous? Am I serving more? I've got this fantastic Neil Jakes moment that I've run out of time for. So I'm going I'm to tease you and say I'm going to put that as a bonus bit in the, in the nutshell, which is a superb scientific insight into navigation by compass using magnetism for birds. Okay. How birds navigate. Have you ever thought, how do these little birds fly halfway around the world and back to the exact same spot? Okay. All will be revealed in the nutshell, cur- courtesy, 
courtesy of a special Neil but Jake segment, which I haven't got time for now. Okay? There we go. I built it. <laughs> oh, that's a good start. <clears throat> so my point is this. Pilgrimage 17 represents a landmark on our journey. It's a chance to regroup together, a chance to rest, a chance to enjoy the scene, enjoy all that God's given us and who we are together. It's a chance also to look for the next landmark and where we might be headed next together. It also gives us individually and corporately a chance to check our bearing in relation to Jesus and how we're doing. How are we doing on seeking his kingdom, on walking with him? So that's the point, and I hope that's the little encouragement that you can take as we approach Pilgrimage 17. There may be some people here today, I think, who are perhaps a bit paralysed, wanting the answer from God. I need to know, am I to do this or do that? You're still wanting map-based instructions for your life when God's saying, actually, start moving. I'm giving you a compass. So, if you are a bit stressed and feel a bit trapped with an inability to make a decision, wanting to hear God and not hearing his voice, perhaps you could respond today because I think it should be really freeing to know that actually we're journeying with God. We've got the Holy Spirit riding pillion with us and we can hear his nudges and he will keep us on the right kind of bearing but only if we're actually moving forward. So if you feel stuck, you need to move forward. And if you want help with that, you can get prayer today.